you know, I was going through LinkedIn and there is a ton of content on ways and means to hire people. There are leaders, there are social media influencers and so many people commenting on the best ways to tackle interview questions. Now that got me thinking. So this episode is not about ways and means to handle interview questions. It's about interviewers doing their job properly. And so this episode is dedicated to the hiring managers, to the, those companies who entrust their senior executives to hire the right talent for their companies. The question to ask is, are they doing a good job? Is there an audit process to know that they did the interview correctly? Is there any accountability on the set of people they rejected? Do you have knowledge, visibility about what's going on in their interviews? If the answer is no, and I'm guessing 95% of you do not have a clue of this. You have an idea, you don't have tangible reports. Very few companies record tangible outcomes on the interviewing process. And so in this episode, let's touch upon what hiring managers can do better, more importantly, what companies who are entrusting or identifying talent within the company to hire other talent outside from the market can do little better. So let's start with some of the most common feedback that we hear from most candidates. I'm sure there are exceptions. Most candidates give the following examples. Number one, the interviewer was rude. Now, that's a totally unacceptable stance for a company's representative in any interview. What do you mean by rude? They come across as disinterested. They pull up a long face. They often get into an ego battle with the candidate. And they're almost like looking for the candidate to fail or to make a mistake and then have the look of, ah, got you there. Such level of immaturity should not be at the interviewing table. HR folks, founders, CEOs, or any of the leaders listening to this podcast, do you have a mechanism to track rude behavior during an interviewing process? Because not only do they build a wrong perception about the company in the market, you might actually land up losing a very good talent. The question to think is, does the rejection feedback come to you? Why was this person rejected? Basis what? Does your leadership spend enough time in the rejections commentary that has been recorded? If at all, I know many companies don't even record. the They just write candidate rejected, which in itself is very offensive, did not make the cut, was unsuitable for the role or perhaps a little more parliamentary language. But apart from the optics of it, is somebody really going deep diving into it and saying, okay, we gave you 10 resumes, you rejected nine of them. Is there a pattern of rejection? Why are you rejecting this person basis what? Is your leadership team spending enough time discussing the quality of profiles? Because oftentimes it's only unidimensional that the business is always accusing the HR team or the talent acquisition team that the quality of the resumes are very poor or the candidate was subpar and so on and so forth. But seldom do we hear a pushback from the HR or the talent acquisition teams to the business saying, well, in our opinion, I think the candidate was good and here is why. It never happens. 
right? When was the last time you got your TA team to sit with your team on the floor, listen to their work, understand the challenges they face, and then do a self-analysis on what kind of people to hire. Idea is not to hire an army of clones. You want to hire incremental talent, people who are even better than the ones that are there on the floor. So merely matching keywords will not get you the right talent. So that's for the TA team to do. But for the business, are you doing an audit on the people who are interviewing such people externally? In India, as we know that there's a volume of talent and within the 100 resumes, there'll be two candidates who will be absolutely outstanding. But the person interviewing them, if that person is not as competent or did not have that kind of maturity to handle a better talent than himself, is there a process to verify this person's opinion? Point number two, companies often put out a peer level interviewing process, which means you're trying to hire a rep and you're getting that rep interviewed by another rep who's on the floor right now. Now, this is a very tricky process. It could, it's a double-edged sword in, in a way. Sometimes some of these peer-level interviews are an ego battle between the two entities because they're almost at the same level. Yes, one is has a clearly an advantage of the tenure in the role, but from a workex standpoint, if the guy who's taking the interview is 10 years of workex and the person who is the job seeker also has a 10-year experience, assuming from a rival company, then how do you propose that this person will have the higher ground, will have the maturity, will have the understanding to identify the strong points of this particular person? It is often argued by the business that we would have, we would never put out a guy for interview if the person was not good enough. But if you look deeper, you know, most cases, they put out the guy who's the top performer or has been around the longest. Now, in many cases that works, but there are also many cases where they, it does not work. A person who's a top performer does not necessarily have the automatic ability to assess people, people management, lives, careers, that kind of assessment maturity requires a different quotient. And it's always not necessary that your top performer has that. The other angle is tenure. Well, the person has been there since Adam and Eve. And so the person understands the company culture very well. So they will be a good representation externally. That also is a double-edged sword because sometimes the people long in, in, a, in a particular role tend to carry old baggage. They despise change. They get resistant to new ideas. They often think, if this is the question, this is how I would have answered the question. And if the candidate has not answered in a similar fashion, then automatically it's a rejected candidate. These are very dangerous things in this day and age. Why? Because a company is enriched with diversity. Company does not want to create a clone army. Same to same, machine assembly line. That's not the goal. The goal is to have a diverse work environment. Somebody has a strong point on a particular area, 
well, you want to hire a complementary skill set. While the core skill sets always remain the same, perhaps, but you are looking to identify diversity of ideas, thoughts, and process. That's what makes a company and a team and a department grow. So these people who are doing peer-level interviews, are you ensuring that they have that kind of maturity they bring to the table? And if yes, how are you doing that? How are you ensuring? Is there a scientific way to do it? Is there a process recorded? Have you certified this person? Is there an interview skilling opportunity that has been provided by the company? You can only interview only if you have this particular certification with you. And it could be a course, it could be an internally designed course, it may not be an external certification, but at least there is some awareness created towards that. If it isn't, then it's a big risk that you're running. Finally, number three, hiring Superman. Guess what? There is only one Superman. Chances are he may not need the job. So stop looking for one. Look for the Clark Kent who could do the job. Many companies, job descriptions, hiring managers make this classic mistake of wanting too much from one candidate, from one profile. Yes, I know you are multinational companies, you are big companies, corporations, and there are job descriptions have 30 line items, but be realistic. It's unrealistic to think that one particular person has all the experiences. Now, what is the threshold then? Can you hire? Are we suggesting that you hire substandard people? No, that's not the goal. The goal is, for example, if there are 10 things that are required to be successful in this role, does the job seeker meet at least seven of them or eight of them, right? That's an 80% accuracy, hit rate, whatever you want to call it. And the balance, the deficit of those two points, does the person demonstrate enough potential evidence that the gap can be bridged? Realistic way to assess candidates. It does not mean to say that if you do find someone who's 10 on 10, you absolutely should hire. But you have to question, are you ready to hire such a top talent? Do you have the necessary career path, the trajectory, like to handle this person's career? If you are looking for the dragon warrior, do you have Master Shifu who can identify, nurture, manage, grow such talent? And be honest with yourself, if you don't, then don't look for that top talent, right? If you can't mature this person's learning, grow this person, then why would this person stay with you? And, and therefore, it'll impact your attrition. So either you raise the bar of excellence where you hire top talent. Alternatively, if that is not a possibility, have people who are perhaps not the right absolute 10 on 10 fit, they are 7 on 10 or 8 on 10 fit, and can you mold them, can you guide them, can you handhold them to deliver their best ever performance. In sporting parlance, there are hundreds of cases in history is replete with instances where a bits and pieces team goes on to win a world championship and then the all-star team fails to win the title. And in corporate world, in teams of today, you have to realize that everybody has a very unique talent which they can contribute to the company. It's up to you to identify and unearth such talent. 
instead of adopting the theory of elimination, can you go through the theory of selection? Not only will you find great colleagues, you will build careers, you will have loyalty, you will have a sense of belongingness. And those are some of the ingredients for top performers. When they believe they are part of a greater cause, they believe that they're part of a team that cares about their success. That is the recipe for success. Is your leadership team invested in that belief? Well, that's all the time I had for this episode. I hope it got you to think. There are no straight cut answers for all situations and I'm sure there are many other examples that come to mind. But the idea is to ask your leadership team and see how they feel about the set of people they have rejected over the years and see if you find a problem. It could be that there is no problem possible, but the chances are very low. I have come across many, many organizations who do not do any retrospective check because there is no time. There's no bandwidth to go back and sit down and dedicate one hour to see why you rejected five candidates, right? At least cooperate with your TA team, put in a form, however tedious or cumbersome it might be, put in commentary in the form and somebody from the TA team or the people management or the HR team at a leadership level needs to read those comments as to why these candidates were selected or not selected. And likewise, do a revamp at least once a year or maybe once in six months about the set of people who are interviewing other people and trying to attract talent for the company. Very key to succeed in this day and age. Do write in your comments, suggestions, and I'm happy to stand corrected if I've misread a particular situation. Love to hear your thoughts. Share it on my social media handles on Twitter and Facebook or reach me on LinkedIn. You can reach me on IN slash INBAN. That's A-A-Y-A-N-B-A-N. And hit me up there. We can talk, debate, learn from each other. So until next time, stay well, stay safe, bring your A-game to work. This is your host, Ian, and you are listening to Bus Talk.